eyes up, ting, ting, like glitter and gold. I got fire in my soul, rise up, ting, ting, like glitter. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Splits the D, crashes inside, picked up by Porter. Down court Murray from Jokic. Aaron Gordon, of course, against the Lakers on opening night. Uh, Kevin Harlan, unmistakably, yes. on the call, joining us uh, to talk about the Nuggets who are off uh, and running at a 4-0 start. Face a team that they eliminated in the postseason last year, the Timberwolves, tonight out in Minneapolis. Joining us to talk about it is Miley Sports' Ryan Blackburn. You can follow him on social at NBA Blackburn, our lead Nuggets reporter at MileySports.com, also the host of the Pickaxe and Roll podcast you can find that uh, anywhere you get your podcast as well as MileySports.com and the new alley Hoop podcast as well so uh ryan is a busy man and we appreciate the time ryan uh thanks so much i guess my, my first question for you for the nuggets is uh as weird as this sounds is it a concern that it seems so effortless to beat teams early because the only one that gave them a fight was the one team that kind of felt like they shouldn't have yeah, I, first of all, thanks for, for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. I think that Denver's coming to the season pretty locked in. They've known how they have to approach these games in order to get wins. And I think with the the one that you're talking about that's Memphis, of course, last week on Friday, uh, they definitely, I think, uh, thought that without John Morant, Stephen Adams, Brandon Clark, Luke Kennard, guys like that, that they would sleepwalk into that <laughs> one. Half their team, you know, starters, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they, they probably didn't take that one as seriously because they knew that they had to that they that they were going to get the win. It was just a matter of how and how right. hard they had to go. And I think that's a really interesting place for this team. They've never been in that spot before, really, where they have the confidence, all the confidence in the world. And it has been pretty impressive to see them approach most of these games in that way. The Lakers game obviously comes to mind. The OKC game comes oh. to mind. The other two, Hey, you, you, you're shorthanded or the, the opposing team shorthanded. You expect to win that one. Yeah. That yeah. gets a little bit too close, but the other one being a second night of a back-to-back and they still get it done. Pretty impressive and, stuff from this group. And, and even, uh, you know, if we're going to get down to the, nitty-gritty, granular details. The Nuggets have lost six straight games in Memphis. That That's always been kind of, in recent years, a house of horrors for them. Uh, they've generally been a good road team. They don't, I can't think of another building where they really struggle, except that one. And, and, and it doesn't matter how well or how poorly Memphis plays. Uh, Memphis is erratic, uh, even with all those guys in the lineup. But, uh, boy, in Memphis, they've given the Nuggets trouble. And Utah is is not a good team, but they have a couple of guys in Markinen and Kessler who right now are, you know, borderline all-stars. So it, it, it isn't as if uh, they, they can't challenge you. And I only thought the Memphis game was really sloppy. Jokic, I think, had nine turnovers. But I want to to ask you this this question fundamentally even through four games what in your mind is the biggest storyline and uh, you know i'm not going to answer your question for you but would you agree that Jokic is kind of doing Jokic things and murray's kind of doing murray things uh, apart from those two who are 
two guys maybe on this team you trust the most game in and game out. Sure. What's been the main storyline for you so far through four games? Or, or our biggest surprise? Maybe that's a better way to answer, answer yeah, the question. And, biggest surprise. Yeah, I, not, I, not necessarily an individual, but just the biggest surprise as a storyline. Yeah, I think the, the most important thing for this group to know is that the, the starting lineup is as we thought it would be. That's definitely not the surprise that, that you're talking about here. I, I think it's got to be the bench, right? It's, it's got to be the product. I, I did lead the and witness a little bit. On that. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a little bit there, but it, it was where I was eventually going to go. I was going to focus in on Peyton Watson specifically, who I don't know what people expected from Peyton Watson ahead of this season. I know what Calvin Booth expected from Peyton Watson, which I think was to be a historically great bench player out of the gate. But what I will say is that uh, for, for me personally, I was expecting it to be mostly up and down and it kind of has been, there have been some ups, there have been some downs. I know that Michael Malone has been pushing Peyton Watson pretty hard in order to put him into a great position to succeed but also maintain those great habits that he wants from his young players. But Peyton Watson has delivered on that end, and, and especially on the defensive end. I posted this stat earlier today. It's called it's block rate for each of, like, for players in the NBA. And I listed a bunch of great centers, Chet Holmgren, Victor Wembenyama, Joel Embiid, uh, guys like that, Rudy Gobert, Anthony Davis. And Peyton Watson is smack dab in the middle of those guys and how often he blocks shots right now. And that, to me, is a tremendous factor when it comes to determining athleticism and impact and the way that he is reading the floor and the way that he's reading the game. And he's doing it at 21 years old without a ton of experience already. The Nuggets know that he's going to get even better but the fact that he's starting from this baseline is very, very impressive, and it's been very, very helpful. Yeah, leading the team in blocks with 1.5 per game despite playing only uh, 16 and a half minutes a game. But they, I, you brought up a point there that I, I think is worth discovering. The way Michael Malone is coaching young players, the way Michael Malone is coaching young players compared to the way Michael Malone coached young players a couple of years ago has vastly, vastly changed, hasn't it? Oh, there's, there's no doubt. I think what happens in these situations is, is I, I, I laughed about it on the pickaxe and roll podcast last night that Michael Malone for seven, eight years was doing his darndest to have his team grow up. And last year they finally grew up. They finally did the things that he was asking for them. He kind of had to, like he, he got to take a step back as, as really the leader of the team because the guys were doing their job. And this year, there was a play in the game on, on Sunday where Julian Strother and Peyton Watson throw up back-to-back air balls in the second quarter, and I burst out laughing from my seat because it is very much a, a, a delineation for what Michael Malone had to deal with last year, but it is nice and a nice reminder that he can still do the, the youthful coaching aspect while knowing that the team can still maintain double-digit leads because their starters are so good. He is allowed to have more patience now because the team isn't yeah. trying to prove something. And he isn't trying to prove something that too. anymore. He's he's now a championship coach. I, right. I, I would just to reinforce what you're saying because it's exactly right. His pattern years ago, after the opener in which Peyton Watson got as many rebounds as the three of us got that night, uh, 
got on him a little bit. Got on him after the game the next day. Got on him a little bit and said, "Listen, um, you you got to be productive on the glass." And that's been maybe a if there's a fly in the ointment anywhere, the Nuggets have not rebounded all that well in the first four games. But anyway, he gets on him, but he goes right back to him and plays him again. And it was the same thing he did with Brown in the playoffs last year when he benched him. And I said, I'm a big Christian Brown fan, deservedly so, in the conference finals against when the Lakers for the, one job, almost the cover, last game and a half. Austin Reeves shoot a three. Right. And, like, and I went back and I looked at the play-by-play of that game just yep. to make sure that my memory was not failing me. And it was exactly as I had recalled it. He put Brown in. Reeves hits a three. The Nuggets call timeout. And Brown is never seen again for the rest of the series. But in the NBA Finals, he not only plays Brown, he ends up really using him more than he had all year. He didn't get mad at him and then bench him. He gave him another shot. He was more patient, and he did the same thing in probably a a less obvious way with fewer eyes on him and on Watson after the opener. He didn't bench him. He didn't say you didn't have a single rebound tonight. You're not going to play for the next two or three games. And the idea of a doghouse, I think, in modern sports, when it comes to coaching philosophy, is kind of stupid anyway. But Malone really practices that now. And Watson had a great response. You can correct me if I'm wrong. He said something to the effect that, listen, I've been coached hard all my life on every level I've been coached hard I know he was coached hard at UCLA and he didn't play very much either he's playing more now than he ever played at UCLA oh it's tremendous and uh, I I think the most important thing with Malone is is that he has evolved too with this team and, and his philosophies his like the the team has gotten better and it's allowed Michael Malone to take a step back and be a little bit more patient and understand that he doesn't have to live or die by every single play as, as he had for, for so much of his career. It's a, it is a great evolution and allowing him to be a little bit more calm, allowing him to take a step back, be more reflective. It helps you understand how much the team needs Peyton Watson, how much they need Zeke Naji and Christian Brown and guys like that in order to step up, in order to step in, because there's not a lot of depth on this team. They've played great through the first four games. The, the bench has been relatively strong, but they know that they're going to need these guys to be even better and even better by the time game 82 rolls around and the playoffs start coming. They know that they've got to pick and choose between a couple of these guys, these young players that are relatively inexperienced and they're going to have to go hard. And so he's going to coach them hard, but he's also going to live with the mistakes, and he's able to do that because they've got the best starting lineup in the NBA. Looking over at, at that bench, I think well, that's that's the focus is because I think we we know. I mean, the the, the starters are, are what they are now. It's, it's so consistent, it's, it's almost funny. Reggie Jackson is 33 years old. He'll turn 34 during the course of the season. The, the Nuggets are asking quite a bit of him. Thus far, early on, I think uh, they've gotten everything they've wanted. The concern is, do you see anything in Reggie Jackson's game the 20, 20 minutes a night all year long 
is going to be hard to sustain at his level of play because it, it, when he was with the Nuggets, when they added him, they I think on the whole, they expected a player very different than the one they got. What has been the change where we're now seeing Reggie Jackson play the way he can play? And is it sustainable based on what you've seen thus far? Also knowing age and the challenges there. So I've been doing some rotation charts over the course of these first few games. It's one of the things that I try to do uh, when it comes to Nuggets coverage. Yes, I think the it's best, a valuable way. Go to NBA Blackburn and check them out. He puts them out after every game. They're fantastic. They're required reading. I use them for every single show. I have noticed an interesting pattern with Reggie. They basically bring him in at the end of the or the the midway through the first quarter. First guy off the bench, right? Uh, Before first guy Brown. off the bench most of these times. He's basically Even though Brown plays more, Jackson is mm-hmm. the first guy off the bench. He is the first guy and and what they do, what they have done at least through four games is they have tried to work back in Julian Strother or a shooter at the very beginning of the second quarter. They don't always play Reggie at the beginning of the second quarter. They bring him back in, but they don't put so much pressure on him. They put Jamal Murray back in at the beginning of the second Mm -hmm. quarter most of the time, and it allows Reggie to kind of feel out the situations, feel out the spots that he needs to play, and having Jamal play with him means that Reggie can sometimes spot up. He can sometimes run run the court in transition. He can be a secondary ball handler. It doesn't have to carry the full burden. And that, to me, allows him to pick and choose when he can like operate. And he's not going to be the gunner that I think a lot of Nuggets fans had the impression that he would be. Reggie's finding ways to set up the rest of the team. He's reading the floor really well. And he's reading his teammates really well. And that has allowed him to kind of get into the flow of things and then he, he plays the normal rotation in the second half where he just basically plays the end of the third beginning of the fourth most of the time but it has been interesting the way that Malone has deployed him and deployed the bench and I think he's done a great job of, of making sure that there's nobody that feels too much pressure at that place it's not all on Reggie in order for the bench to succeed and I think that allows him to see the floor with a different light we're talking with Ryan Blackburn, and I got the last one for you, Ryan, real quick. It sound, this is the strangest question. I can't even believe I'm asking it. Where's the flaw? I mean, if you were to look at this team and say we're playing the Denver Nuggets, what, what do you do to attack? It's fascinating to think about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are different things I think you can poke a hole in. I think you can say that Denver's rim protection is still probably not the best. They, they the will never be a good shot-blocking team as currently constituted. They just won't be. <laughs> They, Absolutely, but it is it is interesting. You work a guy like Peyton Watson into the rotation. Christian Brown plays a little bit more than he did last year, and suddenly you've got a little bit more athleticism yeah, on the wing. Yeah, Those guys block true. shots. That's true. They've been they've that's been true. doing good. So now from the center position, Joker's just not going to do that. Although no. he has a career high in block rate at this current juncture, so very interesting to think about it that way. I will say the size on the second unit is going to make them vulnerable to defensive rebounding. Their starters yeah, have not rebounded the way that you want them right, to. Right. Uh, but rebounding is a it's a focus thing. It's a hustle thing as much as it is, as it is a skill thing. There are guys that are very skilled at it. Jokic is probably the, the best defensive rebounder in the NBA. And when he wants to turn it up in the playoffs, he's going to rebound everything. I, I think very strongly that this team, when they get into that playoff mold, the rebounding is not going to be an issue. If I had to pick one other thing, I guess it would be 
And I, I'm, I'm still a little bit worried about the second unit, that this is a flash in the pan, and that mm-hmm. as they play different styles of people, uh, different styles of teams, that they'll, they'll be exposed a little bit here. But we're going to find out. Like, it's going to be very fascinating to see, especially tonight against the T-Wolves, they're going to play some big centers. They're going to play some big, strong centers. Wow, that's haven't really faced that's Haven't really faced a ton of those guys so far this year. So I'm curious to see how Zeke Najee handles it, how the Nuggets handle it, and what they do to combat that interior size. I'll tell you what, Zeke Najee will have more trouble than Naz Reed than he'll have with either Gobert or Towns. And I don't know that he'll be playing that much when Gobert and Towns are on the floor together. Uh, the best player on Minnesota's team, other than obviously Anthony Edwards, who is the, perhaps in terms of raw talent is about as good as it gets, at least at the position he plays. But I think Naz Reed's the second best player on their team. And He's he comes off the, off the bench and he won't beat Najee with size, but he'll beat him with strength. He's a lot stronger and I agree with you. Uh, that's the one thing the Nuggets got away with last year in the series against Minnesota. They didn't have to contend with Naz Reed, who had hurt the Nuggets a hell of a lot more than Towns and Gobert had during the course of the year. We'll see what happens. Jada McDaniels is another guy that I'd watch out for. Sure. He will guard Jamal sure. Murray for most of the night. Yep. That's right. And and that is going to be it's going to be interesting to watch this matchup with the perspective of the first round where. Jada McDaniels, Nasri, they weren't there for that they first round there. matchup last right. year. So uh, the Nuggets has tremendous respect for what the T-Wolves have done and then what they did last year in the playoffs. Now you get a fully fully focused yeah, and, and yeah. fully stocked Minnesota team. We'll see what happens tonight. They would probably like to make a bit of a statement uh, of their own. And especially a bit home. of revenge. Oh, yeah. Exactly. So we'll find out. And, of course, we'll talk about it tomorrow. But Ryan will talk about it as well. So make sure you give him a follow. On social, NBA Blackburn, we have the Pickaxe and Roll podcast, the new Alley Oop podcast as well. And, of course, the coverage on MileHighSports.com. Ryan's your guy for the Denver Nuggets. Nobody better. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right. Nuggets get that going tonight in Minnesota. I mean, busy night in sports. And it's coming up a very busy weekend in football. Even though the Broncos are off, the college football scene in Colorado is popping. And this weekend, uh... You can watch all of them, all on national TV. No overlap. Everybody, big weekend coming up. We'll take a look at all three of the local teams next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Larrier, man open, caught there. That's Kinneman, dives for the pylon, and he is in. Dane Kinneman for Air Force, touchdown run over CSU. Uh, last week, well, that game uh, didn't go well for CSU. Another tough one in front of them, but... This is going to be a fun week of Colorado Absolutely. football and Danny Bailey on point with the, the music there because it has been unusual to be able to really celebrate. And I, I get it. Uh, the, the Rams, I understand they're three and five. They're not 
dominant. Air Force is dominant. The Buffs are about to have a record that's not dominant. But <laughs> you have a, all three of these teams are on national television. Yeah, and they should be. Uh, the, the Rams will reignite the border war with Wyoming, and that will happen to, uh, on Friday night. Pardon me. Yeah, That's Friday night at 6 p.m. Or at Friday. A, uh, Friday. Yeah, I was getting ahead of myself for the weekend. But uh, Friday night at 6 p.m., that'll be on CBS Sports Network, Wyoming at, and Colorado State. That is up in Laramie. I'd like the Rams' chances better if it was in Fort Collins. But too. they have played so much better of late. The progress has been uh, almost in the reverse of what we've seen at CU, where things have gotten worse as the season has gone along. Not the case with the Rams. Yeah, Things have gotten consistently they, better. And if they could win this game, I, I would really like their chances For against Nevada and Hawaii yeah. to get the six wins and go to a bowl. And from uh, Wyoming's perspective, uh, they took it on the chin recently. Uh, Air Force knocked them off in a game that Wyoming probably should have won. Uh, certainly had a great chance to win, but uh, Wyoming's very good. Yeah, and they got clobbered by Boise State, yeah, obviously. Yeah, that was... and that, that, you know, that's one of those games that, it, you know, a good team will just play badly, and Boise State isn't at its best, but maybe Boise State was tired of getting kicked in the teeth and uh, responded against Wyoming uh, at Boise. And Air Force still has to play, I believe, at Boise, if I'm not mistaken. And that will not be an easy game. That looks like the toughest challenge for Air Force. Um, Army should be a, an easy touch. But, again, uh, these these games of the Commander-in-Chief's Trophy uh, involved Maybe. every year, they're always a little bit tougher that's, than you that's think their they might be. Because Air Force and Army and Navy play the same style. Right. Air Force is by far the best of the three teams. They're ranked, and Army and Navy aren't even in the top 100. In, in most people's estimation, among the 133 FBS schools. But it's not going to be 55 to nothing when they when they play on oh, Saturday no. at the no, no. Empower Field. And that's what's exciting, too. So, the, you know, you got the border war on, on Friday night, National TV, CBS Sports Network, on CBS Sports Network the next day at matinee, uh, 12.30 yeah. p.m. at Empower Field at Mile High, where the Broncos normally play. Uh, that's going to be a show. You have Air Force hosting Army. Now, as you pointed out, this really, it should be one-sided, but it's always a game that is hard-fought. It's meaningful. I love, love the idea of having whichever, you know, because you, you get Army and you get Navy every year, but one of them's on home and one of them's on the road. I love the idea of hosting Air Force's service game in Denver. I love it. I think it's a terrific idea, and I really, really hope it goes over well because I, I think it's. Well, they're going to do it again next great year with Navy, exactly. They? Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I hope it stays. Uh, look, Falcon Stadium is a fun place to go. It is, but it, it's a little difficult to get to because it is, it is on a secure military base, as it should be, and uh, it, it just it's complicated. But putting it here gives an opportunity to get a lot of people to go see those games. Uh, Air Force games are fun all the time, especially when they're top twenty-five ranked. That happens on Saturday. Day during the day, and of course, in the evening, uh, the Buffs have an opportunity a very, very slight one here. And there will be a um, there's a personal rivalry there that I have a bad feeling I'm not going to enjoy next week because um, Nate Lundy is an Oregon State Beaver and um, they're ranked 16th for a reason. And um, they run the ball really, really well because they have one of the probably top 
three or four offensive lines in the entire FBS. Um, Buffs are going to more, barring something strange, they're going to be four and five after this game and getting to a bowl game is going to be really tough, but they are at home. It is another 8 p.m. game. Expect the crowd in Boulder. It will be sold out as it has been every game this year and will be uh, to be a, a fired up crowd. But uh, that one seems to be the longest odds for any of the, the Colorado schools. I think that even the Rams have oh, a better chance against yeah. Wyoming than the bus do uh, against I, Oregon State. I, I would I would tend to agree with that. Um, Colorado has problems that in the short term really can't be solved. No, the offensive line can't be solved. Uh, there are injuries, and even if there weren't injuries, there is no synergy. Uh, the talent level is not matching the talent of other positions. They, they can't be solved. But we talked about it a little bit yesterday. Deion Sanders and Sean Lewis need to get their heads together and they need to find a way to work around it because as we, as we when you talk about problems that can't be solved, that's bad. But it does give you some clarity because you're not hoping for one thing to solve it all of a sudden. You know it's a problem. You know it's not going away. So what are you going to do to compensate for it? And that's the thing I'm most intrigued about. I think about. you got to move the quarterback a little more than they do. You can't have him sitting in the pocket getting snowed under. Down after and down. You've got to give down. him... And and, and you've, got, targets. You, you've got to at least make token attempts to run the ball. Uh, I mean, I think they had seven designed runs in in the first half. I mean, if your offensive line night, is giving I mean, you that kind of issue, then you know, run run some delays or something right. like that because right. you know that the, by the the defensive line is going to over pursue automatically, yeah. whether they mean to or not. So that there are ways, screen plays, delays. There yes. are things you can do. Yes. And if there's and, been and a disappointment, I think, for Buff fans, it. it's that it's, it hasn't happened. They did some of it at TCU to open the yeah. season, and they've never really gone back to it. And I, I've been surprised, as perhaps the head coach has also been surprised, by the lack of creativity and imagination in this offense. Uh, Sanders is the real deal as a quarterback. And I, listen. And I think his receivers are too. Even great quarterbacks need offensive lines. Go ask Joe Burrow, who who <laughs> perhaps would be greater still than he is now with a better offensive line and would also not be fighting calf injuries and the like uh, that came about as a result of trying to move <laughs> away from uh, the pass rush. But I, I think by design, you've at least got to move Shadir Sanders a little bit uh, and and you know give give him the opportunity to keep it uh, without just sitting there in the pocket trying to scramble his way out of trouble when he's surrounded by uh, at least four people with bad intentions. Yeah, it does seem like there's some, some and there are mismatches everywhere on the offensive line. Has to it's occur. it's not like you can do some patchwork on even one side of the line and the other side's okay. You're at a disadvantage at left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, and right tackle, and there's nothing they can do with all the shifting they've done in personnel to change that fact. Kirk Herbstreet put it perfectly last week. He says you look at the two deep and you don't see a single player who is – a starting caliber player on a power five conference school. Not one. It's Not it's going to be a fun show on Saturday. I mean, Danny Bailey in the booth there. Danny is, uh, I believe you're going to try to, to 
to do the, the football college football doubleheader on Saturday? That's the plan. Have fun. Start the day uh, up here at Mile High and yeah. take in Army Air Force for the first time with my folks, yeah, you, and then you uh, should be able to. Yeah, and then I think I'll be able, able to, to make there. it to Boulder in time. Should yeah, be able to get to Boulder. I, I, yeah, I can't pull that off because I have I have a a role up there in Boulder, and it's going to require me spending a lot of time pronouncing Ui Angalele to get that correct because I'm going to have to say that a lot. You've got to. Uh, it's coming right. up. Yeah, DJ Uyunglele is a uh, the, the phenomenal quarterback for Oregon State, the guy that runs that, that offense. And Uyunglele. It's the way it's spelled. Yeah, more or less, except yes. there's an N in Uyunglele. there, which there isn't actually in the spelling, but otherwise it's pretty much the same. But, uh, yeah, so I've, I've been um, working on that all week, and I would imagine, like, hours for the game, I'll be sitting in a quiet room saying Uyunglele. Well, I feel like I, I'm an old David Letterman joke right you, now. You know, right now, who... Among the teams we expected to be really good in the Pac-12 is disappointed. USC to a degree. I, Washington I guess, State I mean, isn't playing very well lately. But, you know, Washington, so uh, Washington <laughs> didn't, when the CFP rankings came out uh, earlier in the week, Washington was at number five. Correct. And you're thinking, well, <laughs> They could be in the top four because, after all, they're, they're eight no, they're just eight no like the other four teams are. What's the separator? And to be honest, I thought they did a pretty good job with the rankings. Washington has really struggled with Arizona State mm-hmm. and Stanford recently, but we'll find out about Washington because they play number 20 USC, number 18 Utah, and number 16 Oregon State between now and the end of the regular season. So they will be tested. And Oregon was very close to beating Washington. That, I mean, that's the advantage of being in Oregon a big conference. Oregon is not it's a team itself out. that I pull for, but I think Oregon has about as good a chance as Washington does Despite to break the loss, into yeah. that top four. Because you know Ohio State and Michigan play head-to-head. Right. So they both can't be undefeated. But we've right. seen at times where, you know, one of them losing up. doesn't eliminate it, but you're right. Well, I, mean, I, I know that. I and, and I thought there was a good statement made, and I'm, I'm trying to remember whether it was Paul Feinbaum or, or one of the other college football analysts. I think it was Kirk Herbstreit, as a matter of fact, who said, if my school is ranked anywhere in the top 13, because that encompasses all the undefeated teams and the one loss teams. Save Tulane and Air Save Force. Save for Tulane yep. and Air Force right. at 24 and 25. Mm-hmm. Right? You're thinking you got a shot. Yeah. Louisville, 7 and 1. Missouri, 7 and 1. Penn State, 7 and 1. You get the idea. Yeah. Same records, 7 and 1 for Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Alabama, Texas, Oregon. Yeah, if you win out, you've, you've got a chance so to make it. You, you've got a shot. Now, for LSU with two losses, Notre Dame with two losses, to get into the top four, don't see it. No. Oregon State, Tennessee, Utah, There's UCLA, USC, zero or one. Kansas, Oklahoma yeah. State, four will come Kansas through. State, all have two losses. Then you have Tulane and Air Force who aren't getting into the top four. No matter what uh, they do. Right. Tulane, seven and one, Air Force, eight, no, of course. Uh, so I, I thought, boy, you know, that that's, that's pretty smart. That makes sense to me that even at 13, Louisville, I mean, if they went out, Louisville has they could beaten, climb. Louisville has beaten Notre Dame, uh, and did so handily. And so, I, 
I, I wouldn't forecast it. And I do think Penn State is overrated because Indiana almost beat them this past Saturday. But I, I think for the most part, Ole Miss lost in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. How much are they going to get penalized for that? Well, not much. They're not ten. all that much if they if, if they, they win get, the SEC. Win out, right? You have to win out. Yeah, I mean, I I look at it and the, the Pac-12. You know, Washington at five, Oregon at six. You have to then make a, a jump. Obviously, uh, you go to Oregon State at sixteen, Utah at eighteen, UCLA at nineteen, USC at twenty. But uh, I mean, that's six of the Pac-12. Six yeah. of a six yeah. half that the is, members uh, of of a of twelve a team soon conference. To be yeah, that is soon to be defunct in the top twenty six of the top twenty. I mean, wow, what a uh, remarkable run! If this is the last year of the Pac twelve, and it is, uh, give them credit for going out with some style. Obviously, it's going to be a tremendous run, and this will be fun. Uh, you know, you, if you look at the AP rankings, you'll have the number sixteen team. In Oregon State and the number seventeen team in Air Force, which is where AP has them ranked, playing in Colorado on Saturday. It's going to be a wonderful week of college football. We'll take take another look at it as we get closer. But remind you, of course, since it is uh, you know football season, why don't you win yourself some money? Refer a friend and earn a fifty dollars bonus this season with Superbook Sports. Superbook is the most trusted name in sports wagering, and you don't want to miss their refer a friend bonus. All you need to do is click on refer to friend link. You get it right into your profile in the Superbook app. You share the promo code with friends and you get a $50 bonus for everyone who registers with it. Not just, you know, not just the one. For everyone who registers with it. So win money wagering and win money referring this season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. A world champion could be crowned tonight. And after the news yesterday prior to the World Series game, probably fair to be a little surprised that the Texas Rangers are in that spot. But here they are. We'll talk about that a little bit next on Miles Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. First third of the game. Now Seeger to right center field, way back there. And gone again. Corey Seeger does it again. When they say does it again, they mean again because Corey Seeger has again three and again and again. home runs, Sandy, and. Uh, World Series stretches back a long time. Oh, he is a great player. He is player. the and, first and, uh, shortstop to have three home runs in a yeah, single I, World Series. I, I've seen him play many times in person, most recently Four games. Uh, on Labor Day uh, in Arlington when uh, Houston was otherwise cleaning Texas's clock. Uh, and eventually, that one game gave Houston... Uh, the tiebreaker. <laughs> I mean, they dominated Texas in other ways too, but both teams finished with 90 wins. Uh, there was no playoff game that Houston got the tiebreaker, but uh, Seager in that game was the same kind of hitter that we've seen here in the postseason. And and then last night he doesn't have Garcia in the in the right. Line. They're missing Garcia. Garcia, and I'll tell you out I, for the series. I, I must Long say, I'm not right on projections very often, so I'd like to well, yeah, of <laughs> mention what I am. 
Remember when I said yesterday the top two hitters in the order are the keys? Yeah, Simeon and Seager. Seager. Simeon and Seager. And Simeon had a great night, and Seager had a great night, and they're both terrific defensively. And that was the key for Texas last night, and they got very good starting pitching from Haney for, for the five innings they needed him. Uh, the bullpen was not great. But I imagine it's a little – I was thinking about this in the eighth inning when they put the kid in that they activated when Scherzer went out, mm-hmm. Burke. Right. right. And I'm thinking, how would you pitch with an 11-to-1 lead? <laughs> and it's easy to say, don't walk anybody. Right. Throw fastballs down the middle. He proceeds to do that. Yeah. Smash, yep. smash, smash. They got the bases loaded. And – Eventually, in the ninth inning, they had to bring in LeClerc. Now, yeah. it was only for one batter, and I'm sure that won't affect But it was 11 0, and it tonight. finished 11 7. But it was 11 to nothing. And the Diamondbacks, by the way, had more hits at the end of the well, game. It, it was 10 to nothing at one point. Then it was 10 to 1. You're right, then it was 10 to 1. Pardon me. Yeah. But you know, 11 to 1, how do you pitch? And my idea would be you throw fastballs down the middle, you don't walk people and give them free bases. And that's. Exactly what the kid did. He didn't walk anybody. They smashed, smashed, smashed. They got the bases loaded, and then the ninth inning, there were uh, there were problems too. But they they win eleven to seven. They've got Eovaldi going tonight. Yeah, and Eovaldi is four zero in a postseason, three point five two ERA, but a one point zero four WHIP number, which is uh, terrific. Yeah. Thirty and two thirds innings, twenty seven hits, thirty six strikeouts to only five walks. And uh, he's given up three home runs. Um, one or two of them came in the last game he pitched Correct. in this World World Series. And he's going against Gallon, who is capable of pitching well. But has had a but has had, has a, had a rough postseason. postseason. This is he's a guy who's had a great two, regular season. Five point two seven, one point five zero WHIP, twenty seven and a third innings, given up twenty eight hits, strikeout to walk yeah. ratio is bad, eighteen to thirteen. And he's given up half a dozen home across the board. He's he doesn't look like the same guy that no, was in the doesn't. regular season. And they need him to be that regular. They need season to be that guy tonight. Now, if he does, then they stand a chance. But yeah, we talked about Marcus Semien. He was, seemed like he's had a really bad playoffs, and he and he has at the but same he rose time. The occasion last night. Now, and and that just doesn't include. He has had a hit in every game of these of these World Series. So he's right. had a hit in every game. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you look at it in four games. He has uh, now five hits, three runs scored. A triple, a homer, six RBI. So far, so good, it seems. Well, it, his first time up last night, we were watching, right? Mm-hmm. We were watching show, right here. His first time up, in and he studio. hit the ball hard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're thinking there are stages in a slump, uh, and you start off that you're just totally frustrated. Uh, you, something's wrong. It might be mechanical, but most of the time it's just psychological, and it builds. And then it gets even more frustrating when you start to hit the ball on the screws and it's Adam after yeah. Adam after Adam. That's why you have to Adam. focus on process over but results. It's hard. That's where you know at least you're hitting the ball hard. And for a guy who's a good player like Simeon is, I, I doubt his confidence was impacted greatly. And he, as you point out, has reached base in this series. Is that uh, hit? In, a, in, in every, every game. game's had a yeah, hit. Yeah, I mean, even game. Seeger hasn't had but, that. Now but Seeker's last been night, they weren't bonkers. just bloops. Or uh, even no, line drives, no. uh, they were they were they were, they were uh, extra base hit. Yeah, they were they, 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 they was, really hit hard. Uh, I I do want to say one thing real quick before we 
lose out on uh, time. Uh, I mentioned earlier Paul Stastny had his first three years, mm-hmm. 28, 24, and 20 goals. They, they were three of his first four years that were healthy years. Uh, the third year, he only played 45 games, and I think he had 13 goals, something like nine goals, 13 goals, something like that. Modest numbers, but he was hurt all year. That was his third year in the league. Um, but, but, you know, it, it put up terrific numbers as a younger player, better numbers as a younger player than he had later on in his career, but he was always good in the postseason. Anyway, I wanted to clean that yeah, up. Yeah, and I'll, I'll sneak that in, too, because you have, a, uh, you have, a, you have your CSU uh, uh, sweatshirt on today, so a little props up there to the folks in Fort Collins, specifically the uh, student radio station, KCSU, up in Fort Collins. Uh, nominated for uh, one of the Pinnacle Awards. That's the, the uh, basically the College Media Association's award for uh, the best uh, college broadcasts in the country. Uh, they were one of three finalists for the Best Division One audio newscast, and uh, the only one of those that was actually a live uh, sports in-game broadcast. So uh, a big deal to CSU. Uh, uh, they're winning that Pinnacle Award. The producer, Caleb Allen, there, the play-by-play, uh, Ewan Pert, the color, um, somewhat self-serving. One Miss Eliza Drotar, the sports director. Oh, the analyst is always the most important. <laughs> and uh, the former sports director right. there at KCSU too. So uh, maybe I should have spent my entire time uh, uh, telling her, be, you know, don't be a lawyer or a doctor, or an investment banker, as opposed to do what I do. But it turns out that uh, you know I'm going to get replaced. But uh, well, that's okay. That's, that's <laughs> so okay. We'll find out. That's so okay. Congratulations to uh, KCSU and that Pinnacle Award. Uh, that is a, a a big achievement. It is a national award across the, the country, and uh, that'd be the only one that was a live play-by-play for uh, Rams women volleyball. That's a big deal. So congratulations to the entire station, but especially to Caleb and to you and, and to Eliza. All right. And uh, moving back, did you mention this? Uh, Seeger's the first shortstop to have, have three, three runs. in a single World yeah, Series. Yeah. And isn't they've only played four games. That's right. And, and by the way, if you count series. the final game in Houston, yeah. he has four home runs in yeah. his last five games. Yeah, I mean it, uh, that is so kind of hot performance. And and he's a he's a good guy. Uh, that was the best of all the good moves the Rangers have made. That might have been the best one. Yeah, because he he really is is the glue. And I guess the inspiration is Garcia who gave a very emotional pregame speech. Yeah, multiple players, including the including players Seager, just said it was amazing. Just, Her with an oblique injury. He showed play. vulnerability. Uh, Dr. Rick Perea would yeah. have been proud, I suspect, because, it, you know, it's one thing to get up in front of a room and try to fire up the troops, but to show real vulnerability, as he did, he knew, it, this is the story I heard, he knew what the injury was, and he knew he couldn't, couldn't play, play and he still went out and tried to take some swings, knowing oh, full well, well. Of course, you're going to try. Play, you're try, but he just wanted to be absolutely sure, and he knew what the injury was. And I, I mentioned yesterday, Albert Pujols said on the MLB Network right after the game the other night, "If it's an oblique, I've had that injury. Yeah. He can't, you can't play. Go. You can't go. He's out for the rest of the series." And there's nothing, no treatment that can be done to accelerate the recovery time, at least not in time to play uh, for the rest of the series. So uh, uh, good on the Texas Rangers, kind of uh, my chosen team here in the postseason since they were the last team, well, not exactly, I guess, the last 
teams I saw play live were the Rockies and the Dodgers on the night that the Rockies lost. Well, the lost Rangers have never won games. a World Series. Never won a World, Series, won a World Series. And did lose, in fact, more than 100 games just two years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Arizona, I've been saying 111. Uh, that wouldn't be possible. Well, actually, it would because I think they were fifty-one and one ten, yeah, and they only played one hundred sixty-one right. two years ago. So anyway, they uh, whether it was uh, uh, one ten or one eleven, you get year. the idea. Yeah, they yeah. weren't very good, and they're scrappy. And I do think that, you know it's one of those things. I, I'm surprised that there have been I think forty-nine World Series in which a team has had a three-to-one lead, and six times that surprises me. It's that many. The team down one three has come back to win. So it, it, in baseball, it's it's a little easier to do. Not easy, but easier er, right. than it is in the NHL, the NBA, and obviously football has a single elimination format and it doesn't apply. But uh, if they could sneak in a win tonight, first of all, it would puncture Texas's undefeated road record. Right. But Texas at home is far from undefeated in the postseason. Yeah, it'll be fun. We may end up with a champion. If not, we'll talk about that either way. And, of course, the Avs and Nuggets get underway tonight as well with a somewhat different storyline surrounding each of them. We will see. It's been fun spending time with you. Thanks to Ryan Blackburn for joining us to talk about the Nuggets. Make sure you catch his Pickaxe and Roll podcast and follow him on social at NBA Blackburn. Danny Bailey's the man in the booth that makes everything work. Thanks, Danny. Thanks to you, most of all, whether you're listening on FM or HD radio or you're at MileHighSports.com or watching it on MileHighSports.com or doing all of those things on the Mile High Sports app. We appreciate each and every one of you. Enjoy the games tonight. We'll be back to talk about them tomorrow. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on Miley Sports. Closing.